You're listening to Simple Ritz Radio, episode 76. And today, it's all about those endocrine disruptors. Think beauty products, chemicals, household products, and even plastic. Welcome to Simple Ritz Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Simple Roots Radio, the place to get healthy, live happy, and find joy. Oh, and while you're here, hopefully learn some new information and practical steps to take back your health. Today on the show, we're diving deeper into hormones and specifically how to heal them with guest expert, Dr. Han Anderson. Dr. Anderson has previously been a guest on the show and a very popular one as we uncovered the dangers of birth control. It was one of the first shows, episode number 28, and it's definitely one you should listen to. So insightful, semi-controversial, but I know it's had a huge benefit to so many. So head on over there and check that out after the show. Today on the show, we have a similar and yet different topic all about endocrine disruptors, or those toxins and chemicals that we are exposed to daily that are mimicking or interfering with our natural production and flow of hormones. Dr. Anderson is a doctor of chiropractic medicine with an emphasis at women's and children's health. She's a wealth of knowledge and studies in depth numerous topics that never cease to blow my mind. I have linked up Dr. Anderson in the show notes, and we have created a special handout to go along with today's show, which you'll be learning about more later on. But to get all the information, head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash 076. And don't forget to stick around until the end, because I have a very interesting fact of the day that relates to excess weight and obesity and body temperature. New research, fun stuff. Stick around to hear that. But for now, here's Dr. Anderson. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anderson. This is round two for you, and you're one of the most popular guests. So I had to have you back on to dig even further into what you do best, hormones. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So today we're digging further into hormones, and we're talking a little bit more about our external environment, because I think so much about hormones has been, you know, what we're doing to it, how we're eating and how we're moving, but there's a whole external environment component that is easy to miss. And we're specifically talking about those endocrine disruptors. So I want to talk today about how these things can interfere with not only our menstrual cycle, but also get into fertility a little bit, because there's a huge connection between endocrine disruptors and fertility. So Dr. Anderson, Can you start by defining what are endocrine disruptors and what exactly do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So an endocrine disruptor is any substance that we come in contact with that mimics a hormone in our body or prevents a hormone from functioning properly, either by interfering with how the hormone bonds to a cell or how it travels in our body, um, or just by stopping natural hormone production. So endocrine disruptors can be anything that we breathe in or put on our bodies or eat or drink. So when we talk about these endocrine disruptors, Like the big question for me is, do they only act on certain hormones or is it kind of the whole cascade of hormones? I would definitely say the whole cascade. So we most commonly hear about endocrine disruptors in the world of sex hormones like estrogen and testosterone, but they definitely aren't limited to that category. So appetite hormones, like you mentioned, leptin and ghrelin and actually even insulin can be affected. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, they're often grouped together and called obesogens at that point because recent research has related hormone disruption from, you know, all of the endocrine disruptors, particularly early on in life to obesity as an adult. 
I feel like this is a little bit off topic, but can you go into that <laughs> a little bit more? Because I feel like like tons of flags are going off in people's minds right now. So talk a little bit more about why they're why they're grouping those together. And are we predisposed to that or is this something that's developed over time? So uh, we can be pretty much predisposed to anything. I don't know if you've ever had anyone come on and talk about epigenetics, um, but basically it's the idea Mm -hmm. that we do have a set of genetics, right? And then our environmental triggers can either turn genes on or off. So you can absolutely be predisposed to uh, obesity, but you can also be exposed to these endocrine disruptors and, um, you know, escalate or turn on those genes by your chemical exposure. Mm -hmm. So having these hormones interfered with the insulin, the ghrelin, the leptin can actually promote storage of fat and growth of fat cells and therefore weight gain. Right. 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 And I think that's what's so scary though about endocrine disruptors is they're so common. And like you said, like they, they can affect us from very, very early on, which gets us into fertility. So I want to like really start at the beginning and dig into endocrine disruptors and fertility and just get the elephant out of the room and discuss why is infertility rate skyrocketing? And do you believe that there's like that direct correlation? Because there's a lot of science out there and a lot of controversy about endocrine disruptors. But do you believe that these are a leading cause of infertility? Yeah. So it's pretty wild how this is coming up now. Infertility is coming up now really at all ages. I never thought that I would meet so many 20 something year old women who are having difficulty getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it's almost more of an epidemic than I ever thought. But really we are growing up in a completely different world than, um, you know, than the people before us have, we have completely different chemical burdens. We have completely different mental stressors, especially females. Right. So we, it used to be, there was, you know, pressure to stay home, pressure to do certain things. Now, um, (laughs) you're kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't, Right. like, oh my gosh, you're a stay at home mom. How could you? And then it's, well, I went back to work. It's like, how could you go back to work and leave your child? Right. So we just have all of these new things. I mean, the food is completely different. Our food is so much less nutrient dense unless you are that really cool couple that has an urban farm. I mean, you and Peyton are like (laughs) right there, right? But um, unless you're like growing all your own food and, um, you know, have your own meat and things like that, our food is much less nutrient dense than it was, which is what helps combat cellular Uh stress and helps that chemical burden. But, uh, like, like you said, like this can be really overwhelming and this chemical burden is absolutely feels like it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So if we've taken care of the nutrition part, which I hope people are, if they're dealing with infertility, so it's kind of that next step of, um, what, you know, what can we do? What can we do to help ourselves and our bodies? But endocrine disruptors have been shown to decrease IVF success rates. So Mm. women with high levels of BPA, which is this bisphenol A, which is the chemical in plastics, actually had fewer embryos to transfer and those eggs were less likely to fertilize. Wow. So, um, there, I mean, a highly controlled environment, right? IVF is highly mm-hmm. controlled. So they're able to monitor a lot of things, but they also found that it increases the miscarriage rate to have higher levels of BPA. And that's a couple different mechanisms. One, 
um, estrogen is much lower because BPA and plastic chemicals and things like that are acting as acting as a synthetic estrogen. So our body doesn't produce as much. Mm. Um, so we don't have that binding and that growth stimulation of our follicles and of the eggs inside, Mm -hmm. but also changes the hormone signaling in the cells of the uterus lining, which decreases, even if you do get that egg fertilized, then that egg doesn't want to implant because that lining isn't a comfy, nice home for that egg anymore. So couple couple ways we're interfering here. It's kind of like cell signaling and um, the environment and the genetics. You know, there's a lot of different things going on. Right, right. But it, it it's like all coming together, you know, like why we have, why we see so much of it. It's funny how you did the birth control topic and now we're doing this one because it's like, <laughs> they go hand in hand. The big yeah, two things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want. Right. Yeah. But when you talk about BPA, BPA, um, and I mean, if you look online at like blood work and statistics that are going around, like the amount of BPA and an average human's bloodstream is just, it's crazy, you know, like the amount that, that we naturally have in us. But what about BPA free plastics? Cause I've always wondered, like, does that really take care of it? Or are there more endocrine disruptors in plastics in general, even when they take out the BPA? Right. So, um, BPA is kind of like the front runner in mm-hmm. plastics research because of a study done a long time ago. And by long, I mean like 10 years, really in the world mm-hmm. of science is not that long. Um, but <laughs> a chemical study takes a really long time, especially when it needs to get approved by the FDA and those kind of things. Right. But, um, basically there were some mice in a lab and they cleaned out their cages. They had plastic cages. They washed them in really hot water, and really harsh detergent. And then all of a sudden the mice weren't able to reproduce like they were. And the whole point of lab rats, right, is just make more lab rats. Right, right. To, uh, that they can do more tests on. So they noticed and they thought, well, the only thing we did was clean the cage. So they took some um, blood samples and found BPA in their blood. And they thought, you know, we're just going to see if that's it. And so mm-hmm. they tested a new... Um, new set of rats with just by just putting BPA directly into their bloodstream. And then those eggs that they produced were so abnormal. The chromosomes are so abnormal that they weren't able to uh, procreate and continue wow. to make offspring. So, um, so BPA because of that has then been studied more and more and more. It's still, it's still not eliminated. Um, it's not right. like mandatory that you don't produce with it. It's only been government mandated taken out of baby bottles and sippy cups. Mm-hmm. So everything else, totally fair game. Um, so you still need to look for BPA on everything, even though they've had, you know, a hundred studies that say it's harmful in small doses. Um, but that being said, it took us, you know, 10, 15 years to get to the point where just baby bottles and just sippy cups were were controlled. So who knows if even though it's not BPA is 10 years down the road, is another plastic chemical going to be harmful? But there does seem to be sort of a ranking system, I would say. So, um, you know, how plastics on the bottom have a recycle and they have a, Mm -hmm. a number on them. Um, so definitely plastics to avoid if they have a number one in them. These are like the plastics that are super thin that we um, pretty much use them once and throw them away. Mm-hmm. Um, 
number three, which is PVC. That is not a good one to inhale or put next to your food or anything like that. Um, and then number seven, which tends to be nylon, acrylic, um, polycarbonate, especially that if it's not marked BPA free, um, that those three seem to be the most disruptive and then safer plastics seem to be number five and number two, but really only if they're marked BPA free and phthalate free. Um, but like I said, those could be studied later and delayed right. research might come out. So you might as well s- switch now. What right. With right. The things we're going to talk about, right. Switch off now so that you're not, um, relying on plastic or looking back 10 years from now and being like that lady told me, <laughs> Right. That this was okay. Mm, Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. And we're going to talk about later, like making these switches, but the reality is there's plastic in a lot of things. I took a week when I was like, okay, I'm going to do like a plastic detox. And I just realized it's just everywhere. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Especially kids, right? Every toy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's alarming. (laughs) But the more we know, the more we can help this. Okay. So keep, keep going with these endocrine disruptors and fertility. How, yeah. I mean, you talked a little bit about like how they're disrupting it. So basically these plastics are disrupting the egg. Right. Um, so let's, let's kind of go to a nerdy genetic level. Cause I think this is, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the baseline of where things are going wrong. So in high school biology, probably you had to learn mitosis and meiosis and people are probably going to flash back and be like, I hate it. Um, <laughs> they're convulsing right now. That's what they're doing. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm thinking of like their least favorite teacher. Right. Um, anyway, so we had to learn meiosis, which is how sex cells divide and how that's supposed to happen. Um, how it's supposed to happen is basically the DNA on the chromosomes will swap and exchange so that, you know, you're getting a mix of each parent basically. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's supposed to go through something that's called metaphase one, where it's like basically all the chromosomes, if you can picture them lining up at half court, um, like lining up at a yeah. center line. And then the next step after that is that after lining up at half court, it's almost like they split and one half goes to one end of a basketball court and one hand one half goes to the other half. So because they split and go to separate ends of the cell, the cell knows to divide in the middle and split there and make new cells. Um, so what BPA actually does in that cell in certain doses will go in and it interferes from that half court lineup from ever happening. Mm. So if the chromosomes can't line up at half court, they sure as heck don't know how to go to, you know, which end they're right. supposed to So if we never make it through those two steps, then, um, either the cell doesn't divide and our body's really good at shutting stuff down. That's not going to function properly, Mm -hmm. which is probably why most of the miscarriages are happening or why infertility is an issue. So their body's trying to control, um, chromosomal abnormalities. But if for some reason it makes it through that first screening and our body doesn't shut it down, things, um, can happen where we get an extra chromosome or something like that. So think of, um, in really extreme cases, this leads to things like, uh, down syndrome or Turner's syndrome. Um, Mm. filters is another one that I can think of off the top of my head, but, um, that's kind of the most severe interference, Mm -hmm. but you can have chromosomal abnormalities that don't lead to a, you know, complete diagnosis like that, but might show up as something 
more minor. Um, so yeah, that on this, on the cellular genetic level, I mean, it's starting so early. <laughs> That's why cells aren't surviving. Right. Cause it's really starting in the man and the woman's body yeah, preconception. Absolutely. And right. then it's going all the way through. So let's continue this life cycle of what endocrine disruptors are happening. Happening. So say someone does get pregnant, and like you said, you can have these birth defects develop. I mean, obviously that's happening as in, in, as a fetus, but then like as a child, and as a child develops, like are these things that preconception, these endocrine disruptors that have had an effect on mom and dad, then are carried with us? Right. So once BPA is in your bloodstream, it's going to be in your bloodstream and your baby's sharing your blood and all of those things. And it's really hard to reverse a chromosomal abnormality after it happens. But yeah, absolutely. When we're talking, we're talking damaged cells here and damaged cells can happen at any point along the road of fetal development. Mm -hmm. So it might not be a chromosomal abnormality uh, as severe as something like Down syndrome halfway through your pregnancy, but is it going to harm a cell that's developing, you know, while baby's still inside? Absolutely. Definitely possible. Right, right. Oh, such good information to just know, though, and take in because it is a really big deal. And like you said, this is having a genetic, like, DNA effect. You know, like, this is, like, deep right, down right. cellular level stuff. It's not necessarily just a surface level thing. And I think that's something that we need to be aware of, but at the same time, we do have control over it. You know, like it's, it's something that in many cases we can control or change and help. And so when we talk about endocrine disruptors, because so many of us have been exposed to them for so long, and maybe we don't even know that we have been, but we are, you know, like anyone in America now has been exposed to numerous endocrine disruptors on a daily basis. I mean, it's really impossible. So how does our body get rid of that? Like, is that, is that just going through the detox pathways or? So, you know, I mean, you are obviously, you know, but your listeners are also probably aware just because you do a great job of explaining detox mm-hmm. um, and hormones. But yeah, pretty, you know, there's certain things set in motion for cellular detox. Um, our, our, it's not glamorous, but our biggest and most popular way to get rid of toxins is through our bowels. So if right. someone you know, was to start this plastic detox. And I say that because I myself, mm-hmm. once I learned this, <laughs> everything went out and I went to Home Goods and let loose. Right. And got, well, so if you're looking for a shopping spree, you know, sh- have someone else listen to this and be like, this is why we have to go. Um, right. So, you know, got all glass food storage, got all stainless steel pans. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, if someone does that and for some reason in the weeks following they have they don't feel good. Right. <laughs> um they're like, Man, I got this weird stomach ache or you know, so I got this crazy rash or something like that. Our body loves to detox through mm-hmm. our bowels and it loves to detox through our skin. So a lot, sometimes people even go so far that it's we call it a healing crisis mm-hmm. where people will say they feel like they have the flu and it, you know, asking what in their health history, what could have brought this on? And they say, you know, I don't know, because lately I've been way healthier than (laughs) I was before because I made all these changes and I've been eating vegetables Mm -hmm. and I've gone in the sauna and all these wonderful things. Um, 
Yeah, it's because their body's like, oh, we're getting rid of stuff right now. And sometimes you have to feel worse before you get better. It's all a part of the process. It's like one of those things you have to trust the process and (laughs) expect great things in the end. Yes, long term. Anything natural (laughs) takes time. I think that's one of the things I feel like I explain over and over again. It's like, this is not a tomorrow thing. And that's okay, because we're doing it a different way. (laughs) Right, right. So when we look at someone's body, okay, say like preconception, and even if people aren't really in that stage anymore, you know, say me, we're, we're done. But I mean, it's still having a hormonal impact because all endocrine disruptors affect the endocrine system, right? So when we consume something like just in general and our body can't detox it, is that when we start to see symptoms, like symptoms develop is just like this backup of toxins or it doesn't really matter. Like, Right. So uh, genetically, some people are better at detoxing than others. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's kind of going back to the genetic makeup of who you are. Yeah. Like absolutely. me, I can't detox anything. So like, no matter how healthy I am, I'm like, got the armpit rash. Like your Christmas tree, right? I was so sad. When right. I got rid of your Christmas tree. It was such um, a sad moment. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, absolutely. So some people can handle that kind of stuff mm-hmm. all the time, and some people can you know, hardly mm-hmm. be exposed to, we've had patients where they're, even if their dog's food is in an open container, like their body freaks mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would say it definitely depends on the person. If you know, for some reason, like for example, you've probably had someone talk about MTHFR or, um, or we can link to someone like Ben Lynch, who has thoroughly covered MTHFR. But basically, that is a genetic defect where your body does not detoxify as well. And so you really have to support it. So um, about 50% of people have some sort of mm-hmm. MTHFR mutation. And, you know, so about half of us, at least, have some impaired detox. Right. So, right. So, like, just a couple more questions about this. When we see these endocrine disruptors, I know that there's a big um, there's a big theory that a lot of people are estrogen dominant. Um, we have way too much estrogen, but at the same time, when we talk about like fertility, we can see that like these are affecting estrogen in in a way that's maybe reducing it. So is that like flipping back and forth, or just en- different endocrine disruptors affecting our body differently? I think it's a different effect in every Mm -hmm. person. It's one of those things where we could speculate, but it really each person has to get tested and tested consistently to see what's going on. And also another thing is estrogen works in a lot of pathways. Mm -hmm. So how I think of it or think might be the easiest for people to understand is um, imagine you are at a park and you, you unleash your kid into the park, right? And your kid's going to go down every slide, no matter what you do. Um, there's one super tall spiral slide. There's one really short, straight slide, and there's one kind of wavy slide. So what if your kid only goes fast down one of those slides, but goes down a, a different side more slowly or doesn't go down at all, gets stuck or something like that. If you only watch one of those slides, you might make a judgment about if your kid is fast or slow or something Mm -hmm. like that. So sometimes, um, depending on who's running your test, this is why I would suggest going to someone trained in functional medicine is that some physicians are only going to check your estrogen down one pathway Mm. or one slide. So if they only check one pathway or one slide, they might say, yep, that's 
you know, binding super fast or it's binding super slow, that's not your issue. Um, so you need someone who's going to look at all of the pathways and there's a lot of different forms of estrogen. So someone who's really versed in that would be much better if you think, you know, if you are experiencing infertility or anything where you think we're dealing with a hormone issue or someone's pointing you towards a hormone issue, it needs to be more comprehensive than just estrogen, which I think is what gets us in trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's it's one of those things I always tell people, if you're getting tested and it's coming back fine, but your tests aren't aligning with what your symptoms are, you know, like your test results, like your body still is telling you something. And I think that right. yeah. so often we like get told or like shamed into believing that our, our issues don't matter. But I'm always like, if right. your body's telling you something, generally there are things that you could do or steps that you could do to maybe fix that or at least acknowledge that, you know, like something's right. not firing. Right. So yeah, I liked your analogy though. You, you have the best ones. Uh, okay. So people are like, Alexa, stop asking her scientific questions. We want to know <laughs> how can we fix this? Because like I said, like the, it, it can be an overwhelming topic. So to break this down simply, can you just remind us of some of the most basic endocrine disruptors and give us some ideas of things that we can do to fix this in our everyday life? Absolutely. So saddle up, go to home goods. No, right. right. <laughs> um, Here's your excuse for a shopping uh, spree. Right, right. So the kitchen is where I would start. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, I would say cover kind of kitchen and bathroom, but one of the biggest things you can do is switch to stainless steel pots and pans or something that is not nonstick, which is mm-hmm. kind of unfortunate because nonstick is very convenient. It's very easy to clean, um, especially with delicate foods. But if you can get cast iron or ceramic or like I said, stainless steel is what I got just cause I, my mm-hmm. parents actually had that growing up and they lasted, they still have them. They last they forever. Yeah. My Even parents have had theirs since they got like, married. Yeah. Years. yeah. Um, so I don't know why I didn't just listen to my mom when I registered for my wedding, however long ago, but I should have. Right. <laughs> cause I'm doing it now. Um, anyway, so stainless steel is just super affordable. So they take a little bit more elbow grease to clean, but it's worth it. Um, so mm-hmm. getting that out because that releases endocrine, endocrine disruptors, the nonstick, um, substance that's on there. Uh, also getting rid of all the plastic Tupperware, mm-hmm. which even if it says BPA free, like I said, you never know what's going to come up. Um, glass is so much safer and stainless steel is so much safer. Glass is nice because you know, it responds mostly to heat well, especially Pyrex, you can get in, right. you know, 20, 40 pieces. And I know. In. Um, it also solves that problem of Tupperware lids when you get all Pyrex because they're just all nice little right. stacks. So if you're a little type A, like I am, <laughs> um, yeah, fix that problem. Yeah. Um, so, but if you keep some kind of plastic in your kitchen, one of the things that I would suggest is, you know, if it's new, if it's never been heated or washed with harsh detergent before, don't start. So hand wash it in cold water and don't use soap mm-hmm. or use a really mild soap. Um, kid dishes are also a huge culprit. So mm-hmm. like I said, government only banned BPA from uh, baby bottles and sippy cups. So like our daughter eats out of a bamboo bowl that hasn't like a silicone grip on the bottom. So she can't sling it around. And, um, and that came with a wood and food grade silicone utensil set. And those, again, you have to hand wash. So a little bit more effort, but it's really not that hard to spray out a little wooden pole a couple times a day. Um, 
so that is what I would say for the kitchen. And as far as the bathroom, I would take a look at what you're putting on your body. So aside from eating, whatever we put on our skin and, um, you know, whatever we wash our hair with, we're Mm -hmm. literally soaking ourselves in chemical Mm -hmm. soup. If we aren't paying attention, especially if it's something that's super perfumey. So anything that says fragrance in it, in the ingredients, um, especially like old spice or suave or L'Oreal or, you know, kind of like the old, all the old traditional ones that have great marketing campaigns, but, um, right. Like Johnson's baby wash. Um, (laughs) that's, you know, everyone wants to get that for their baby and it's actually has a bunch of endocrine disruptors in it. Um, Right. Just rub it right on their scalp. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Lather them up. Yeah. Um, But right. It's like marketed as like the thing that you Uh cover your baby in several times a week. Um, So I would look there. Like I said, fragrance is going to be your key unless there's a specific mark and they will be really proud of it. If they did it, they will write BPA free, Mm -hmm. phthalate free, um, paraben free, all those kind of things. Um, and then I would say the last big one for me is nail polish because that's one that I really like painting my nails, but it's definitely very toxic. So, um, one thing to do one, open a window when you do it. Right. <laughs> um, or, you know, go outside something, but, um, there are brands that they call them like seven free or eight free. And by that, they mean they're free of seven majorly harmful chemicals or eight majorly harmful chemicals. So brands like Zoya or, um, I think butter London is another one where, um, they're just, uh-huh. you know, they've at least got the big, big seven, big eight out of there. So yeah, kitchen and bathroom. Definitely. Right. Um, oh, and takeout, takeout containers, right? When you, uh-huh. which is hard to stop and take out sometimes, but, um, that comes in pretty toxic styrofoam or plastic or something like that. So if you can, like I said, sometimes you're in a pinch, but if you can go eat there when they're going to put on a real plate, mm-hmm. that's just one reason to actually go. Um, so yeah, those are some, those are yeah. some big, practical some big things. Ones. That, yeah. Even just doing that, it's really overwhelming, but even just doing things like that can make a huge dent in your exposure. Right. And maybe what I'll do just to help people is just make a list of some of these things that you mentioned and like a checklist of, okay, here's the priorities, like just Mm -hmm. slowly start doing it. Cause I know these things cost money, but in the end, a lot of the times it's just exchanging, you know, like bathroom products. It's like, okay, you're eventually going to have to get some more anyway. So just pick up a nice product and kitchen stuff. I feel like the glass stuff lasts forever. And, um, yeah, more than plastic. I mean, plastic gets, um, junky anyways, but yeah. yeah. So another thing that I heard, okay, I haven't researched this. I don't, don't take my word on it, (laughs) but it's worth looking into. I've heard that one of the highest sources of BPA is receipts. So like if you go to the grocery store and you grab a receipt, like every time you touch that and then you like rub your face or whatever, I heard like the amount of BPA in a receipt is ridiculous. I don't know so what that, the amount is, but yeah, go right. ahead. Right, it's that shiny paper. So mm-hmm. think of like receipts or a ticket stub or anything like that. That's kind of slick, and um, I probably think the amount is a little controversial. Of like, how often would you have to, you know, like rub a receipt all over yourself? But um, there has I, been the occasional time I've stuck <laughs> it in my mouth. Yes, like a Sam's Club. Yeah, wallet. yeah, right, right. Um, but think about a cashier. Like, how often oh, is yeah. a cashier uh-huh. at like Hy-Vee or something? So that's um, that's probably 
you know, a, um, a, like a workplace issue where that kind of person needs to take further steps to either detox or protect themselves mm-hmm. or, you know, not say, I mean, you could wear gloves while you work, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, just being more conscious of that because say that person was a poor detoxer and, you know, every two minutes they're touching another receipt, right. touching another receipt. Um, yeah, absolutely. But also, yeah, people hang on to them, put them in their mouth, give them in their wallet forever, keep yeah. them in their pocket and then touch it in their pocket. But yeah, so getting, choosing email only if you have the option right. or just like <gasps> groceries. I never, I know, no, I don't need the receipt. Re- you keep the BPA. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to eat it. Um, so yeah, that's one receipt that I don't ever take. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, I always at least go look up the amount later if I need to know. But. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's always so, this is again, off topic. I get off topic with you on the show because it's easy, <laughs> but, um, to look at like different careers and like the rates of different illnesses and disease, because I feel like there's a lot of correlation. Okay. Like what are they doing or what are they exposed to? And then we can kind of start to see, Oh, like that's what they are. And one of the big things is like hairdressers and people who work in salons. I mean, just crazy. The amount of just thyroid and um, endocrine issues and cancers and things like that. And you're like, well, they are just exposed to it constantly. Right. Um, Well, and then if that woman, you know, if female hairdressers are pregnant mm -hmm. um, and I know there's, you know, they're very aware to wear gloves and things like that, but they can't stop inhaling things mm-hmm. like that. So I almost, you know, I want to put like a hazmat suit on them. I know. Right. <laughs> Unless they're using clean products, which I know that there are some salons that are switching to really clean products. And right. I really give them a lot of credit for doing that because it's not yeah. just helping their clients, but it's helping them out tremendously. Okay. Right. So now that we know some switches we can make, what if we want to try and detox this better? Like what are some steps we can take to get this out of our system? Right. So I mentioned earlier, our body loves to detox through our bowels. Mm -hmm. So kind of protecting your intestines by having a high quality probiotic or, you know, in addition to a prebiotic, in addition to collagen or something that's going to help mend that gut lining. That's really important because we just need that extra layer of protection. Mm -hmm. And um, then definitely because of the cell damage that occurs over and over again. And like I said, on a chromosomal level, this is damaging our cells. Antioxidants are going to be huge. And the best place to get antioxidants, obviously, is going to be our food. Mm -hmm. I think all of our nutrients comes through our food best. But we're also combating higher levels, independent on, you know, like you said, what your job is or things like that. We're combating higher levels. So we might need something more like a nutritional supplement. Um, so mm-hmm. some sort of antioxidant blend and um, CoQ10, mm-hmm. which normally comes up in heart health. Right, right. It's, yeah. It's a great antioxidant, also great for fertility. And, um, you know, the men aren't off the hook here. They should also, they, they should want to have the best cells to make the best offspring, right. that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, they too should be thinking about cell protection, which is really in the form of antioxidants is the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prenatal health should really go for both men and women, in my right. opinion, because it's and half and half. Right. And for months, a lot of people start taking a prenatal when they get pregnant, right. which is unfortunate because really we need about 
three to six months beforehand to build up mm-hmm. our nutritional storage because who knows where you're starting from unless you got tested. Um, but, you know, three to six months is great. There are a lot of really great uh, preconception programs. There's one called Before the Bump that is through a national company called BirthFit. And a woman out of Nashville created it and it goes through, you know, mentally, physically, nutritionally, here's what you should be doing and really do people ask me this all the time. Like, what's my timeline? When do I need to look at this? And I'd say minimum three months, Mm -hmm. six months would be great. You know, a year or two would be awesome. Right. (laughs) But, um, yeah, because once, I mean, a lot of times you don't, right. You don't know you're pregnant until that cell's already been dividing so many times that those first abnormalities could have already happened. So that's Mm -hmm. why we want this way before, way before anyone gets pregnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just one final question. I know I could talk to you forever about this stuff, but (laughs) um, we'll probably have you back on at some point, but one final question. So just to bring it back to fertility, because I know that there are a lot of people questioning it and I haven't had a lot of people on to talk about fertility, but can you give us just three to five general tips or suggestions that can help increase fertility? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, you just want to have the healthiest cells possible. So take a look at your nutrition. Um, If you can get to someone who does some functional medicine and get your nutrition levels checked, not necessarily how um, the traditional Western medicine medical doctor checks them, which is kind of just by drawing them and giving you a number. We want to see how functional Mm -hmm. that is in your body. So what your number is, even if it's in a normal range, that might not be good enough for you or it might be too much for you. So a functional medicine practitioner is going to look at is, is that your number or is that, you know, just a number that's good in general. Um, and then, like I said, really solid, the basis of nutrition should come through eating whole foods, unprocessed foods. Um, so ideally in that three to six months, doing some sort of diet cleanup. So if you're going from, um, eating a lot of processed food and a lot of takeout, Mm -hmm. um, but you'd like to be pregnant within the next year. Now's the time, um, get the right food to start off with, get tested. So you know what nutrients you're particularly low on, especially, I mean, going back to that uh, other podcast, if you took a birth control for 10 years, say you started in middle school or early high school, which is really common. And now you've made it through college and you got married and you know, whatever you're late in your late twenties. Well, you've had 10 or 10 plus years of having your nutrient storage depleted by that medication. And who knows if you caught on or if your body is keeping up. Um, so we definitely need to replenish there. Um, also, you know, going through that plastic and chemical detox. So Mm -hmm. either throwing out everything or like you said, as soon as you use something up, just get something that's better. Replace it with a natural right. alternative. Because some people, when you know money is a thing, like you said, you're not going to not own shampoo. Um, so just next time, get something better um, that's safer for your body. Mm-hmm. And I definitely take a take a look at a uh, mental mental health and stress levels, and that's often the third component because really infertility is a really stressful thing. And, um, something that's supposed to be very enjoyable and full of love all of a sudden gets really bogged down in, um, you know, waiting, waiting to see if your period comes or waiting to Mm -hmm. see like, oh my nauseous, maybe I'm pregnant. Maybe I have the flu, like who knows? And then, you know, 
being upset or excited or it's an emotional roller coaster. So you got to <laughs> deal with your issues if you have, you know, everyone's got their stuff. So deal with your stuff, um, be at a good place with that so that you know how to handle, um, that emotional roller coaster that really is mm-hmm. trying to conceive. Yeah. I love that you added that last one in because I feel like it's so easily overlooked um, and everyone just kind of shrugs it off. Like it's not a big deal, you know, but it's such a huge component and something I really want to get into more. um, is just that emotional connection because again, it's just not talked about, but it has so much power over the body. It's crazy. So today has been such a wealth of information. Um, Like I said, I'm going to Make a downloadable guide that you can just go through and check some of these things off. And really, it's just taking the small steps every day to make a change in the body, you know, to give it a break and and just to help it to thrive rather than just live in this survival mode that so many of us are living in. So thank you so much, Dr. Anderson, for bringing so all welcome. of that information. Seriously, you're the best. I love having you on. And I can't wait to bring up another topic with you because you always bring it to the table. And I love that about you. But before we go, I have a few quick fire questions because yes. they're always fun. And I changed it up a little bit because you've done this once already. But yeah. I do have um, some of the same questions because I think uh, they've changed over the course of, I don't know when the last time you, what, has it been a full, it's probably been a year and a half. I was, yeah, a year. I was just, I was, think I was just pregnant and now she's one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So speaking of hormones, what's the one thing you do to help your hormones? I would say for me, it's definitely bedtime ritual mm. the best I can. Cause I, like I said, I have a one-year-old and right. she does not sleep worth a dang. Um, <laughs> she's great. All the, you know, basically right. other 16 hours a day. Um, but so even working around that, I'm super conscious to not be on a screen after six, which a lot of times I don't get done working until six or six 30. And I try not to look at anything. Um, I use essential oils. I, don't, I try not to think about work at all. And I read something completely unrelated to work. So if I am really into a scientific topic, I try and read it during the day or audiobook. And then at night, like right now I'm on the sixth Harry Potter. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love getting ready for bed and I love going to bed. And that's probably why I can't understand why the baby wants to be awake because I love <laughs> getting ready for bed, but it's just, um, and it's just to control stress levels and mm-hmm. anxiety and things like that, because I know, I just know I have a hard line of, you know, I'm not, I'm not working. I'm not doing anything like that at mm-hmm. nighttime because I won't sleep, um, the hours that I can sleep and, um, you know, my cortisol will be super crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, sleep is like the critical aspect of, again, hormone flow, that circadian yes. rhythm. Okay. I know I asked you this one before, but I want to know now, what's your favorite health book right now? Mm, relevant to the topic, everyone that um, is interested in this topic at all should read a book called It Starts With the Egg, which is, you know, just elaborates on this mm-hmm. topic more and more. And I... Amazon's going to think I'm crazy because I just keep ordering one copy at a time because I'll give it to somebody. (laughs) And then I'll be like, no, I need another one. I got to give it to so-and-so or I want one in my office. And so I've probably ordered it four or five times and then I'll give it away and then I'll order another one. So I'm like, but I need to read this. So um, it starts with the egg is what that's called. And then my, I would say my go-to long-term, which I might've mentioned last time is Mind Over Medicine by Uh Dr. Lizzie Rankin. It's super great. Um, and talks about placebo effect and how it's a great thing. And it's just cool. I read it every year just cause it's awesome. 
Uh, I haven't read that one yet, but I'll have to, I'll have to add that to my Amazon order. Yeah. Okay. What's one product that you're loving? Ooh, product. Mm. Um, I just got a new charcoal toothpaste, which my, uh, my mom introduced me to charcoal toothpaste and (laughs) put it in our stockings. (laughs) I love it. And then, yes, I just got a new one of those. What brand did you get? Oh, Do you know what it man. is? No, that's okay. No, mud mouth maybe. Okay, my or kids think the charcoal kind of- toothpaste is hilarious. Well, and that's I want to get the baby started whenever you know when yes. it's appropriate. I want to get her started, so she just thinks toothpaste is black. Yeah, um, oh. yeah. I want her to think that that's what toothpaste is. We we you know we tried to joke with food. We're like, yeah, breakfast is vegetables, and so I want to get her on like toothpaste mm-hmm. is black also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you have another one? I thought you were, I interrupted um, you with that. Yeah, I just got, and I totally forgot the brand, which is awful. Maybe I'll email you later, but um, a new, like, really intense face scrub that's, you mm. know, one of those, like, really thick, mm-hmm. um, thick and uh, almost, like, scratchy. But right. you get that brush in your face, and you're like, my face is so soft, so I'll have to email you. Yes. But And like I said, bedtime routine is, like, is my jam, so mm-hmm. I'm going to put on – five different natural moisturizers before I go to bed and layer them perfectly. And then it's a totally different story when I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, Ugh. do I wear the same makeup every day? It's <laughs> it with my eyes closed. But before I go to bed, like that is pampering. You know, yeah. I'm going to try all the new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I love bedtime too. My kids don't sleep either. So I just don't get it either. <laughs> uh, but it's my jam too. Like I just love it. Yeah, yeah. I love everything about it, but okay. <laughs> So that's what, before I ask you two more questions, the thing about products anymore is there's so many natural companies coming out. It's crazy. And they have some really awesome products out there that don't cost a fortune either. And I just think it's amazing. So there is a huge transition, I feel like, in general of people moving towards this. Um, And I really like that because there's tons of try. So yeah, send me the face scrub and I'll add it into the show notes um, so everyone can hop over there and get it. Okay. I asked you these last time, but what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, this little, I don't even remember what I said last time, but this has come up lately and this is not related at all. This is, um, uh, before we got married, actually, my grandparents just told us to be nice to each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was in our card. I mean, it's everything they, they're just like, it's not that hard. Just be nice to each other. And it seems really simple, but our relationship is awesome. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking earlier about how, you know, even if we argue, it always starts with, I really like you and I don't want to make you mad. And I think you're great, but here's something I was thinking about. And just out of the idea that I'm just, I want to be nice to you all day. Mm-hmm. just cause I like you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think it's easy, you know, things can go wrong and people can perceive things wrong if you're not coming from a place of love and just wanting to be mm-hmm. nice. And, you know, even healthcare information. I mean, mm-hmm. I try to treat my patients, you know, as I would my own family of just, Hey, this, it realistically, this is what I think is happening. Um, this is what I would do if it were my kid or if it were my spouse or if it were my sister. And, uh, you know, not trying to be flashy or be the best, but just to really want what's best for everybody. So yeah, it's not, it's not hard, but just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's great advice though, because it's easy to live in defensive mode and every man yeah. for themselves kind of mentality. So no, I like that. Okay. Last question. What's the best piece of advice you could leave us with? I mean, that was pretty good what you just said. So if you yeah, want to go with was- that, 
you can go with that. <laughs> can you but, just take that one? Yeah. I mean, you can, and you can make a lot of awesome change in the world as long as you're, as long as you are coming from a mm-hmm. place of love and whether it's for you or someone else. And I think, and I'm jaded too, right? Cause I see people who have, they've been through the medical system and everyone's done them wrong and things like that. And even people like that, I feel like I need to remind them like they, you know, that physician probably came from just what they knew. And they, if, you know, they might have thought that was sincerely what was the best thing for you, or I hope they did. So if you can give them the benefit of the doubt or anyone that you come into contact with that, hopefully they're just doing the best they can. And that, um, with what they know and that kind of thing. I also think a lot of times when people are get angry, worked up, which I don't think is a bad thing. We should feel what we feel, but it's a lot of energy when you can put that energy somewhere else. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's good. <laughs> it's so great. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. But. No, that's okay though. But in the end it helps with the stress level and really just to live with more peace and joy and just like free, you know, I think so much we just so like bogged down by everything that it just congests everything in your life and your body. Um, so no, I like that a lot. Okay. Last question. Tell us where we can find more about you and what you do. Anything and everything. Great. Um, I'm a couple places, so you can find a lot of my writing at mywelllabs.com. Uh, well labs is an online nutrition company that we started a couple of years ago to, uh, we're really working to make basically functional and preventative medicine easy to understand and more accessible. So, um, there's one place, if you live in Iowa, you can find me where I practice, which is at a clinic called back in line in Hiawatha. Um, I work with mostly women and children. I'd say 80% I'm in the pediatrics, postpartum pregnancy, prenatal. And then I, you know, have about 20%, um, working on males, but that also tends to be nutrition related. And then my newest adventure, which I'm super excited this year, also around women's health, but I'll be starting a Cedar Rapids offshoot of the birth fit organization, which basically helps women through this preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, um, whole motherhood Mm -hmm. transition with nutrition and mindset and chiropractic and fitness. You know, there's so little postpartum care, so I'm super excited to bring that's so awesome. Yeah. Rapids. Yeah. And so I'll be on Instagram at a uh, birthfit underscore Cedar Rapids there. And we are starting with our postpartum classes this spring. So if you're local and you had a baby recently, you how can recently? Some- <laughs> Honestly, if if you never got TLC or rehab or anything and you're like, I don't know how to move, I don't know, uh, I don't feel like myself, I don't appreciate my body, like we're gonna cover all of that. Uh-huh. And um yeah, it's just so backwards, right? We're like someone holds our hand all of pregnancy when we're crazy strong and like, we're basically like a freak human cause we're growing another human. Um, and then we yeah. have a baby or, or we have surgery to have a baby mm-hmm. and no one rehabs us and no one, we get one visit at six weeks. That's like, you're good. Yeah. Um, you just had a major it. surgery. We just cut through yeah, yeah. multiple layers of skin and muscle and other tissue. And yeah, if it was your shoulder, we would send you to PT. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. But it was your abdomen. So never mind. Um, yeah. So yes. And honestly, we're all as soon as, you know, as soon as you've been pregnant, once you're postpartum for the rest of your life. So mm-hmm. anybody's welcome there, but, um, the website will be up soon, but for now we're just hanging out on Instagram. So that's super exciting. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of research on postpartum because you know, I'm three, <laughs> almost four years postpartum <laughs> now, but it's like the whole thing. And again, I know I'm supposed to be wrapping this up, but really quickly, it's the whole thing. <laughs> 
of like, there's no muscle control down there. Right. Like, and so many women are like, Oh, I was at the trampoline park and I couldn't hold it. You know, like, and no one tells you how to fix that. And also like mom brain and, and the reality of how much our brain shrinks postpartum is just crazy insane. And I don't think women realize like the, the actual shrinkage that happens in the brain, which can come back, but getting it to come back takes knowing how to treat your body. Well, like, just crazy things. Oh, um, and giving yourself a realistic timeline. So, I, and right. this is a great tidbit if you, well, if you get injured or if you had a kid, but tissue on average takes 280 days to heal. So most moms Not go six back weeks, to work. What? Yeah. Most moms go back to work right at like maybe 12 weeks max. If you're not staying home, you got 12 weeks. Um, tissue healing at 280 days is way closer to nine months than three months. Right. So when you're, you know, you've already been back at work for two months and you're like, why can't I run two miles or why can't I do this? Or, um, you know, why do I still have some incontinence or something like that? And you aren't even at a year or any, you know, you're not even close then. And it's really just this image on online and on TV and in magazines. That's like this celebrity lost her baby weight in three weeks. And (laughs) so being realistic and scientific about what your body's capable of, which is a lot, but we need to know the timeline and, um, yeah, we need to, we need to respect our minds and our bodies mm-hmm. postpartum so much more than we do. Right, so. right, right. Yeah. Instead of just full in stress mode and yeah. crazy exhaustion and not knowing <laughs> anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another podcast topic is coming up here with yes, Dr. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here again. I really, really appreciate it. You're so welcome. That was such a fun show with a dear friend Endocrine disruptors are really no joke, but if you're looking around, you may be thinking, wow, they really are everywhere. Like, what do I do? Well, we've put together that free downloadable checklist for you, going through a list of endocrine disruptors and what we think take top priority. Over time, you can just keep adding to that list and slowly making the changes to switch out as many as the common endocrine disruptors as possible. Of course, slow change is better than no change. So head on over there to simplerotswellness.com slash 076 to grab that free download. And while it is impossible to completely eliminate them because they really are everywhere in our environment, taking control of what we can is going to greatly help. Combine that with a quarterly reset and a yearly detox and you will open up the space for your body to thrive. If you're interested in a quick five-day hormonal reset or a more intense yearly whole body cleanse, you should head to the show notes and check out my programs. Systems that aren't just about dieting, restricting, deprivation, all the stuff that you know I don't love, or even tons of supplements, but just real food and lifestyle changes that create the right environment for your body to heal and really to thrive. I do the five-day reset about four times a year and one big cleanse yearly. They have made such a difference in my overall health and immunity, I can't even begin to tell you. I know I talk often about them, so just know if you're interested, head on over there to simplerotswellness.com and find out more. But for now, I wanted to leave you with that fun fact of the day. There's new research coming out showing a link between obesity and body temperature. However, it really isn't new. I think I've talked about it a little bit before and that there is some other holistic practitioners and ancient Chinese medicine that have known about this link. However, this previously unrecognizable link in the scientific community between thermal sensing systems, thermal regulation, and food intake is now showing that those who struggle to maintain a normal body temperature of 37 degrees Celsius or 98.6 degrees are linked to higher rates of overweight and obesity. 
This is coming from a mass study done on mice from birth until adulthood, and they found that the lower the homeostatic body temperature, so the lower the mice's natural body temperature was, the more likely it was for them to become overweight and obese. So you see, body temperature really is a great sign of overall health. If you're interested, you should take your temperature first thing when you wake up before you eat, drink, or even go to the bathroom. If you're below 98 degrees, especially below 97.5 degrees, you're looking at some kind of hormonal imbalance and most likely linked to elevated weight gain. I mean, body temperature is really, really fascinating and the best time to get that baseline is first thing in the morning. So try it out. See what your body temperature is and see if you can improve that over time with the right changes that we talk about here on Simple Roots Radio. But that's just an interesting thought, maybe an entire podcast topic for another day. Anyway, that's your fun fact of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Don't forget to check back Friday with the Friday 5 and 5. And in the meantime, head on over to the show notes at simperitswellness.com slash 076 to get all the information from today's show, as well as that free downloadable checklist. Next week, we'll be back with a full episode for men only. That's right, ladies. This one isn't for you, but for all the men out there. So I'll see you on Friday and then be back with that full episode next week.